Hey everyone, it's Will and James here. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way, and future plans. So tune in for some of them wholesome yarns. The Pure Sport Project is back. We have a great guest on today. It is Emma Kirk Odenubi, and you actually have a fuller name that was... Well, it sounded great. So I want you to say it again and then backwards because it was probably even better, right? Yeah, okay. So my full name is Emma Mario Damalola Kirk Odenubi or my standard day-to-day name, Emma Kirk Odenubi, backwards is Ibanudu Krikami. <laughs> I want to call you Krikami from now on. <laughs> that's, that's, my, cool. that's my favorite name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krikami. Like, yeah, like it sounds that. like a Disney character. I know. It does. <laughs> Little Krikami. Like from Pinocchio. Yeah. What would it look like? Yeah, what would it look like? Like, if you were a Disney character, what would you be? Yeah. I'd be like cross between maybe a Tigger with like. Hmm. What is in like the energy? Yeah, the energy of Tigger yeah. with like. I don't know. Maybe it's a tough question. Mm. It's a tough question. There's so many Disney characters with like the essence and like strong power of Moana. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like Moana. And then hmm, I feel like that's a good mix, if I'm honest. And then I just love a bit of Hercules because he's super strong. So maybe like all three of those. Hercules, Hercules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, I don't know. Uh, what's it from? Is it from? Ah. Uh... Dr. Doolittle? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the the kid is like super strong. And I think it's the nan is like, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> Good references here. Yeah. We've started off well. We've gone to Disney and Hercules. We haven't even done an introduction yet. And we're already on these topics. Shows how much structure we have here. Yeah. But what we usually do is we get our guests to give their own introduction. So firstly, we don't fuck it up. And secondly, so you can give yourself grace and we can take it from there. So Emma Kirk, what are you all about? So I guess what people probably most know me for is my trainer knowledge and background in footwear. So I started in the running footwear industry back when I was 13. So give or take 15 years ago. And yeah, worked my way up, worked through many different brands, but a Nike runner's world and then ended up I guess, kind of finishing that career in a corporate sense um, as a head footwear buyer at a place called Profeet, where I bought footwear and interacted with multiple different brands and learning about how footwear is constructed and then also being able to aid runners in their gait. So I used to do gait analysis, which is basically analyzing runners. I used to look at foot force pressures. I used to look at full body gait with motionless marker sensors and basically totally geek out on running full stop and offer that service to clients and give them the most knowledge they could on their running and how to be better. So that was like a massive part of my career, et cetera. And then about halfway through that, I decided I love Fortin's Fitness. What's that? Sport and Fitness. (laughs) It's like your name backwards. Fortin's Fitness. It's got a ring to it, right? Is it (laughs) Crickamay? Exactly. So I realized I really, just had a passion for it since day one anyway, but especially moving to London, the fitness scene here was booming. It's when boutiques started popping up, Barry's came and everything else. And I realized that sport was my life. I was training six, seven times a week around trying to do a full-time job as well. So thought, you know what? I want to make this my career. Took strength and conditioning course, 
already had my sports science background as well. And then start of 2020, the ominous year, made the leap to go self-employed, which was obviously very smart. <laughs> um, and Government didn't help you, did they? They did not help me. They did not. Um, but Cheers, here, Boris. Exactly. But here we are. So you can probably guess, listeners, who booked this one. I geek out on trainers. I love running. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you all day about the the mill drop in a Nike Alpha Fly, but we won't do that because oh, I don't know how many people be interested, but I'll geek out on it. But what we're more interested in is just your story as a person. Running is obviously a huge part of my life and a huge part of quite a lot of people's lives over lockdown. So getting into your head about where and why that started is great. But what I wanted to jump in on first was you said the London fitness scene was booming. So where were you before you before you came in? So I went to university back in 2011 um, in Uxbridge. So outskirts of London, that thing where they sell you the dream at the university, being like, we're in London. Yeah. Your university is going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. by Heathrow. It's like 45 minute tube into central London. Mm -hmm. But it was still technically greater London. So I was at, yeah, Brunel, which was an amazing mecca for sport, kind of incredible indoor facilities. Got to watch the likes of Usain Bolt train in the summer, Johan Blake, all the big kind of Jamaican sprinting names come in. And I trained high level netball, lucky enough to win myself a Bucks medal at that. And then was also competing in discus and shot put. So I did that from the age of about 13 up to about 21, 22. So I've always been involved in high level sport and it's, it's definitely part of my identity. Like people are like, what do you do without sport? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Don't know who I am. I, don't, I genuinely don't know who I am without sport. So yeah, it made a big impact on my life. And then when I left, it was kind of that, I guess a slight loss really, because at Brunel, everything is on campus. And that's yeah. what was so great about that experience that I could walk out my uni halls and two minutes I'm inside the sports center. But obviously when you go into real life and adulthood and you're going into a career and you're like, oh, I can't just walk out my house and it's right there on the doorstep. There isn't just a community of people that I'm part of. I've got to go and try and search that. And so for me, the first thing actually was, was Barry's. I stepped through those doors and felt welcomed and met people and went to the same class and built that. Okay, cool. This is what I really want to be part of this sort of scene and then getting invited to little events here and there linked to it. And it was just something that I craved, I think, because I've been surrounded by community and groups for a lot of my life and then to come out of it and be like, cool, you're on your own. It's like, help. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice for someone searching for community? Because there, there seems to be a lack of that in, in some places in some people's lives. Sometimes you just need like a tribe to be able to go down to. They don't judge you. Everyone's there for this a same purpose, which is generally health, happiness, wellness. So what would you say to someone that's we're kind of thinking about joining if it be a run club if it be even a gym with classes whatever what would your advice be to someone looking for what that but isn't probably taking that first step i think it's always intimidating because you feel like you're joining a group of people that are all friends but what you need to realize is every single person in that group was once you and if they didn't make that leap to go actually let me try something new they'd never be there so people are always going to welcome you with open arms and at the end of the day, if they don't, then it's not the right group of people for you. 100%. If they don't welcome you, then you don't need to be there anyway. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. Love community. That's what happens at Run Club. We get a different person. Well, we get, I think we had 22 new people last week and most of them came on their own. And I say the same thing to everyone. Like, I'm like, don't be nervous. Firstly, I'm, I'm an idiot and I'll probably mess up a lot tonight, but I'm just happy to be here. So thank, I thank them as well because it it's a brave thing to do to go and do something new, 
surrounded by people that kind of maybe looks like a clique or whatever. But for the most part, I think humans are good. And if they're within a group already, then it's kind of open. Mm-hmm. Unless it's, I don't know, supreme or something. It's like being the, the new kid at school. Mm-hmm. Especially if you rock up by yourself and you just walk in and you feel like all eyes are on you. But really, it's really not like that. People are probably not even looking at you. So I think sometimes just uh, having a conversation with somebody and then you kind of just get involved in the group that way. And before you know it, you're that person that's been there for weeks on end and then someone new comes in. And I think that's what people forget is everyone's going through this like cycle of being the new person and then being someone established. So one thing that I done in the past is just like, if you see someone new, just go up and talk to them because they're probably so intimidated to do it the other way around. Whereas you're that person that's experienced in that circle. And it's actually really nice just to go out and reach out to someone and just say, look, this is what we're about. Thanks for coming along. Always totally agree with that. And so as we got onto running, you're involved with Track Life. How did that happen? What is your capacity in working with them? And like, what is the process if someone was looked at this and saw you and was like, oh, Track Life looks good. What is the process for them coming down to a session? So Track Life was kind of born out of um, two amazing coaches, uh, Rory Knight and Omar Mansour. Um, I knew them from my Nike days pacing. So I used to pace with them track sessions for a couple of years. Uh, and then that when that disbanded, they kind of came up with the concept of Track Life London in terms of bringing track basically to the everyday runner. I think as someone who has competed on track, on the track itself, but also in the field, it's a very intimidating space for people who don't know about it or kind of just look at it on the TV and go, oh my God, it looks yeah. really big and really Even scary. from my point of view, I've only started track training in the last 12 months. And I'm, if you if people know who I am, probably pe- think I'm good at running or know what the hell I'm doing. For the most part, I've picked up things recently. And from my point of view, looking at the track, I wouldn't know what to do when I turned up there. Mm-hmm. Be that intervals or fart like or whatever, I'd have been like, I don't know what to do. I just go out to run because it makes me feel good, mm. literally. So it's it's really cool that you've, well, those guys and you are involved heavily creating a, a place where people can go down and be like, if I want to try track for the first time, these guys have got it sorted for me. They know what they're doing. They know I might not know what to do. So that's how you get out and get, get people moving. Yeah, definitely. And the key focus is that that we try and get across, obviously, is education, getting people to understand, look, this is why we're warming this up. This is how we're doing it. This is why this form is important, not only for on the track, but when you're then out on the road. And we want to make sure that people leave having learned something, even if they've been for their 10th, 12th time, they learned something during that session that will then help them go and run on their own. And then another big thing for us is all about speed being relative. I think there's so much out there, especially in the running world recently, just because obviously the amazing technology from a footwear perspective about, you know, being the fastest and getting as fast as you possibly can. And that being the big focus, that can also be a barrier to getting people into track sessions. They think I have to be fast to run on track. Not the case at all. We have people who, yes, can run a sub five minute mile and come every week. But we also have the people that run 11 minute miles, 12 minute miles. One of my favorite of our members that came along was a guy called Jonathan and he joined us 2019 summer pre-COVID. Jonathan was 74 years old and he competed his whole life doing um, long jump and triple jump and he was still a British Masters athlete and he would come down every week and he'd join the Sexy Place group and he'd make friends and integrate. We'd then have you know, parents in the summer holidays who were like, oh, can I bring my kid down to track because I haven't got anyone to cover? Of course you can. So we had nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds running track next to 74-year-old Jonathan. So it's where we're trying to, you know, make people realize speed is literally for everyone. All people are there to do is try and make themselves better. 
So we don't want that to be a block because people think, oh, I'm not fast, I can't come. Absolutely not. It's literally for everyone, which makes it so special. And what's cool about the track environment as well is it's not always obvious who the fastest people are because it's a 400 meter track. It's so inclusive that everyone's going around the same thing. And sure, someone might lap someone, but you feel like you're just running with everyone, which I think from a track point of view, someone that would have viewed it as like, I don't know, kind of intimidating. Once you get that in your head as well, it's, you're all there for the same purpose. It's all good. And yeah, you feel very included in that 400 meter circle. I feel a bit intimidated going to tracks because <laughs> like I understand and I can do what A skips and B skips and all these kind of things. However, I feel like if I do them, there's going to be someone looking at me being like, what is this clown doing? Like, it's like me doing deadlifts with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, I don't do. even know what a clean and jerk is. I've just heard it. <laughs> <laughs> That's sometimes what I do on Saturdays when I'm cleaning up and then have something to do afterwards. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, kidding. PG-12 show. <laughs> Oh, we got off track there. Sorry, everyone. That's just what happens sometimes in my brain. I won't bring up clean jerks ever again. <laughs> Not on this podcast. Also, what, what pace is um, sexy pace? Yeah. So I heard you mention that. Sexy pace is, so we kind of try and sort of segment it based on 5K times, roughly. Um, it doesn't mean everyone who comes has to have done 5K, but we give like a rough estimate if they kind of times their 1K by X amount to get the 5K. So sexy pace is basically a 5k over 27 28 ish minutes and to beyond to that all the way up to 40 an hour whatever you want and then our kind of i guess faster or fastest pace group is the guys that are running the sub 22 21 25 k's are up in that group so yeah it's a full spectrum of runners and then you've got like an intergroup which is the bulk usually the biggest group in the middle which is that 22 to 26 and yeah like you support each group as you go around, as you said, that's what's great about the 400 because you just go around in laps. If the fastest pace group are resting, they'll be cheering on the sexy pace group coming through and it's it's just great camaraderie. Mm. I think that's what's go so good about it as well. You can just invite kids along. Yeah. Kids all the way up to 70, 80, 90 plus. Everyone can still, well, not everyone can run, but everyone still has the ability to come along to something like this and, and take part. Whereas I think with things like in the gym or something like that, there is usually an age limit and like you can't lift that particular weight or something like that. Whereas running is probably the most inclusive thing. That's one thing I haven't seen at Run Club yet is kids. Not yet. We've had dogs, we've had mums, we've had grandmas, but no mm. kids yet. Summer holiday soon. Something mm. to think about. Run Club. Kids Club. Kids Club. We're going to have to cordon off the pagoda so they can come in and not escape. <laughs> and, who's yeah. and it'll be your job <laughs> to look after them. <laughs> now you're an uncle, you'll be fine. You one, love kids. One kid is enough. Yeah. yeah. And I could just give him back to my sister when I've had enough of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, 5K, you'll be fine. Yeah, I'll bring him. There you go. There we go. Okay. First kid to kids club is going to be my nephew, Louis. He's... He's pretty quick, actually. Like, yeah. yeah, he's pretty quick off the mark, but I don't think he's got much stamina, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. Kids club at Run Club. Yeah, oh, good. So we've got into sort of where you are now, what you're doing, but let's like kind of rewind it. Where did the sort of drive for sport come? Was it something that was natural? Where did you grow up? What was the first sports you kind of did? What's your origin story? So probably the first time I mentioned sport was when I was about four years old and I was watching the Olympics, which then would have been 96. I think it was Barcelona. Might be wrong. Could be Atlanta. One of the two. Go on then. Have a look, James. You're Rogan. I'm Jamie today. <laughs> <laughs> Might be Barcelona. I think it's Barcelona. Anyway, I was watching it and I was like, I want to be an Olympian when I'm older. 
and that was it. And then the one that I vividly remember was Sydney 2000, watching Dame Kelly Holmes get her 800 and 1500. And that was just like, whoa, someone who looks like me, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. And I just, from that point on, was like, cool, I'm going to get involved in sport. It's, it's where I'm meant to be. And I think for my mum, she was like, she's got too much energy. We need to rein that in. Chuck her in a club. Let's go. So that was pretty much how I kind of got into sport. And you name it, I pretty much did it from, I say, for the age of four up to 12. I did everything from gymnastics to table tennis to sprinting to swimming to a bit of kickboxing in there. I, we did everything because I just was like, I have this energy. I want to find something that I'm good at and that I enjoy. A bit of basketball in there, a bit of football, a bit of hockey, netball, all of it. I was doing it. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a heptathlete. And then realised that that was too much work, so I didn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, that was then leaving, I'd probably say primary school into secondary school was when I found that I was good at athletics specifically. And one day when I was 13, my PE teacher kind of was like, oh, come and jump in. Girls and boys will do it together. Because remember we used to be separated for loads of stuff mm. when you were younger? Yeah. And then for athletics, these to merge us in the summer. And we were like, cool, today we're throwing discus. And I was like, that looks cool. Picked up the discus and... Got given, it. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> got ya. given some of the technique and then launched it further than all of the guys. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, I might be good at this. And yeah. so then she took me down to the local track. I got introduced. It was at Brighton and Hove. So that's where I grew up in Brighton. And yeah, introduced to some amazing throws coaches. And yeah, kind of the rest from a throwing perspective is history. Went to English schools. National champs, kind of year on year, always finished luckily in the top, kind of got to the final and then finished in like top five, top six. And then when it got to probably, I say more like the business end where you're looking at, you know, people going on to represent England, etc. I'd always finish maybe like a couple of places out. So fifth consistently, consistently. And then it got to that point where I kind of had to make that decision. I was going into university and I was like, right, am I going to just keep pursuing this as a hobby? Or am I really going to, you know, head down, knuckle, we're going to drive it through? And because I was so passionate about other sports, so netball was another massive one, which for me, the, the team orientation of netball was everything I loved and more. Just the fact that, you know, you could work as a unit and as a chain almost to as simple as get the ball from one side to the other and, you know, help your team win. That was everything for me. And I didn't want to give it up. And there was a coach specifically at Brunel was like, you need to make a choice. And I was like, I'm not going to. So I just ended up doing both. Nice. And then continued them on my way through to the end of uni. So yeah, and then that's... And any regrets on that? Do you think, do you wish you, you chose one? Or are you just like, well, everything that's happened now, would you, would you trade for where you are right now in your life to be potentially in Tokyo throwing a discus or... I mean... That's I always, a hard one to say, it is bring a hard up one. Tokyo. It, it is a hard <laughs> that, I actually cut you quite deep with that, sorry. <laughs> it's hard. No, do you know what? I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in the universe and that things happen for a reason. Mm. And there was a reason why I decided to not pursue it and never live with regrets, yeah. rather what ifs. So that's why I was like, do you know what? That's it for now. If you could be the best in the world at any sport, not doesn't have to be specifically the ones that you've got experience in, it could be anything, what would it be? CrossFit. Really? Yeah. Nice. Hands down. I think because it's so, as I said, when I was younger, I did multiple different events. And because CrossFit is literally so multifaceted, you have to be able to swim, you have to be able to run, you have to be able to row, clean a barbell, do gymnastics, pull-ups. I think it just covers the full spectrum of like the and definition. Jerk. You've got to be able to jump. <laughs> and jerk. <laughs> it Sorry, covers my the tone is terrible yeah, today. What's up with you, man? I don't know. 
<laughs> you need some clarity. <laughs> Hilarious. So yeah, I think it covers the full spectrum of fitness and what we define as fitness. So I think for me, having being able to do elements of all of that is like the dream. So yeah, definitely CrossFit. I think CrossFit is pretty fucking cool to be honest. I used to do it when I was 19. Don't look at me so funny. <laughs> if, you could, if you could see what was happening now, James just scolded me with his eyes like, what the fuck did what you Are you trying to jump on the bandwagon now? <laughs> Bro, I did it seven years ago when it wasn't even cool. Is it cool? I don't know. It's but only it... cool like with the other people that do it, but people from the outside are like, what are you doing? You're doing like adult PE. Yeah. Sensational like, adult but PE. But I like PE. It is a cool, it is a cool thing, and it is, it's technical. And as Emma said, it's so multifaceted that it keeps me intrigued. It's there's no like scrapbook for being good at CrossFit because they're constantly changing it, and it's mm. well entertaining watching. What's the film they do at the end of every year? The CrossFit Games one. Yeah. Fittest on Earth. Fittest on Earth. Mm. Love that. I'd watch that all day. Yeah. And they're just beast athletes. Generally. I think what people forget about CrossFit as well is like, it's not the, you see these documentaries on Netflix and you see the competitive side of it, but that's not what CrossFit actually yeah. is. It's about health and well-being and being able to move. And like the bottom of the period pyramid of CrossFit is nutrition yeah. before you even get into the exercise things. And I think people forget about that as well. And that ties in nicely with what we were about, about building like a community and finding like healthy alternatives and like, just being healthier people, not necessarily just being like, oh, we have these products. It's about the whole lifestyle that comes along with it. Yeah, big up CrossFit. <laughs> big up CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't often hear that from my mouth. <laughs> big up CrossFit. One thing I did want to get into, Emma, if you're okay with it, you are part of the LGBTQT community. Um, I'm always intrigued. I have so many friends coming from like that, so I don't like saying this kind of model background. A lot of the people in my circle and my friendship group are gay, bisexual, etc. How was your journey with that? Did you have a time where you knew? Did you hold back at any point in saying it because you felt the pressure, the outward pressure? And then what always gets me is I've heard people tell me this story and when they finally do reveal it, it's like the weight of the world's lifted off their shoulders and it's a beautiful thing because so many people are accepting and are almost like, why didn't you tell that sooner? Because I, I love you for who you are, not for what you are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I say for me, this is pretty new, if I'm honest. And I was thinking about this today. Big up Claire as well, by the way. Did <laughs> NFG together. Mm. If, well, if I did a CrossFit Games or sorry, an NFG workout with my partner, I'd, I don't think that would work for me. Mm. Too competitive. But anyway, sorry. Get back into <laughs> So yeah, for me, it happened probably, I'd say it was actually about a year ago and, you know, COVID, lockdown, like the whole thing we went through was so, I think, mentally transformative for so many people because we were one, especially in this industry of fitness, we were forced to stop. And I think as an instructor or anyone that works in an industry where, you know, you're thriving day to day, you're going backwards and forwards to actually be physically made to stop, like government issued, you must stop was a massive shock to everyone. And it forced me to sit with my thoughts and sit and find out so much more about myself and who I was. Until that point, genuinely, I had no realization that I may be bisexual. I had no idea. And then kind of sort of investigating it, looking. So first thing I did was on dating apps, I just changed my profile to everyone. And was like, okay, let's just see. This might be something that I'm interested in. And then, yeah, I kind of realized, no, yeah, maybe that is, that is who I am. And then it was that acceptance of that being who I was. I think because 
coming from Brighton where there's a stereotype that, you know, if you're from Brighton, you're gay, ha 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 ha. And I think deep rooted without me even realizing that was almost kind of something that I wanted to not be because I was like, oh, well, I'm not gonna be like that. That's not who I am. And just accepting that in myself at first was so, so hard. So say, I put my hands up during lockdown, I ended up getting a therapist just generally to help me with my mental well-being because there were, yes, highs, but massive lows as well. And just having that person to be able to talk to and to communicate what was going on in my head and her being like, it's fine. It's, you don't need to be, you know, fit in a box. And I think that's something that I have massively learned in this last year. Society and people around us are always like, oh, so you're this, which must mean you're that. Well, no. I'm who I want to be. And whether that fits into that box, which is good for you or this box, which is good for me, that's just how it is. And so, yeah, throughout lockdown, I didn't really act on it. I just knew that I felt different. Something was different. Then during September, things started to open up again. I think it was after the second lockdown, uh, whatever yeah, number yeah. one it that, was. That middle bit where we had some time to get back out. And yeah, do things. where yeah. We, we kind of ventured out of yeah. the jungle and then we're like, <laughs> nope, back yeah. in you go. Um, so yeah, I was back coaching in third space and I say the story is actually quite funny when I look back, but I on a Wednesday would teach at 9.15 and Claire would teach the class before that. So I would go in and be like, hey, oh okay how are you and it'd be like really weird small talk and we'd both be kind of this weird vibe and i was like there's a vibe why is, the, why is there this weird vibe anyway that continued and then we went into next lockdown and we all started you know doing the zoom things again and jumping on workouts and she happened to grab my number and say oh emma you leading the workout this week we got chatting from there and then came back in December from lockdown, whatever number it was. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was still the same schedule. So I still jumped to class after her. We got talking a little bit. Then from there, it just kind of blossomed. And all of a sudden I was like, I really like this girl. This is weird. This is new. Oh my God, panic. Because since that point, I'd been in relationship with guys the whole previous part of my life. So it wasn't even something that I'd opened my eyes to until literally about a year ago. And I was like, well, what do I do? Girls are, girls are, girls are very different. I know what I'm like, and that's a nightmare. And <laughs> what, what's she gonna think? And what's that? And that's gonna be weird. And anyway, my brain went into overdrive. And as she loves to always state, oh, I just needed to turn my brain off. Mm. Turn let, off my brain and just, just let it happen. Just go with the flow. And yeah, probably three days after we got together, um, we went into the third lockdown and Boris was like, you can't go home, you can't go anywhere. So she came and lived with me. And the wow. rest is history. In at the deep end. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, so we yeah. went in from- any kind of relationship, even if it's like a friendship, yeah. Yeah. to just like, oh, we're living together now. Whoa, yeah. forced to live together. And spent Christmas together and then spent New Year. And then as we then started to, you know, it was still locked down, but we were still kind of in our bubble. And then as we started to come out of the bubble, we were like, okay, we literally have spent every single day with each other. What are we gonna do now? And then, the way it's say like, I trust the universe so much. The way that it happened, I had put in to move out into a new flat, was all ready to go. The flat fell through and she was like, why don't we just move in together? So yeah, here we are six months later, living together. Competing at NFG together. Competing yeah. at NFG together yeah, and yeah, taking yeah. on hopefully more comps in the future. And yeah, so I'll be honest, it was a, it, it's still wild for me to look back on my life a year ago. 
and be like, could I have imagined how happy I'd be right now? The answer is definitely no. But I think for anyone out there, the biggest advice I would say, if you are curious, just go with it. Like you will kick yourself in the end if you don't venture and be like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? You dip your toe and you're like, absolutely not for me. <laughs> Turn back and go the other way, you know? But it doesn't define who you are. And for me, that that coming out experience, I guess, was, as you kind of touched on before, it's about people who actually genuinely care about you are just happy you're happy. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who that's with or what that means in a societal world. That's all that really counts. So you mentioned you spoke to your therapist first. Yeah. And outside of that, like, who did you go and speak to first? You must have some real close friends that you went to first and said, look, this is how I'm feeling about things. Who was it? So I lived with my best mate, Ella, who um, now lives back in Brighton. So I knew her since I was 11. And we lived together for two years. And we spent the first lockdown basically together the whole time. And it was one night over a bottle of wine, as ever. And I was like, Ella, I've got this weird feeling. and I, Something just doesn't sit right. Like, I think, I think I might like girls and guys. And she was like, this is amazing. And yeah. I was like, You're not expecting I was not expecting yeah. her response or like, she was like, oh my God, this is so great. And I was there like, is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you sure? Um, so she was, she was unbelievably, unbelievably supportive and to this day still is and has my back wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, one of the biggest things for me was my family. And also obviously there was a massive Black Lives Matter movement and you know, to this day, especially being mixed race, I always find it difficult of where kind of how and where society sometimes judges me. So I put a post up and I always remember it because it's it's the truth in the summer. I'm darker, so society views me different and puts me in one category. And then in the winter, my skin lightens and I'm in a different category and I'm, you know, look a little bit more appealing to the eye, et cetera, et cetera. And that was my perception. And also, I think especially in the the black community, there is still, sadly, a little bit of stigma about being gay or bi or anything like that. Because, you know, in some of the African countries, if you're gay, you can still be stoned to death. Like, it's as real as that. In Nigeria, you can be stoned to death for being gay, which is where my dad's side of the family's from. So that's that was a huge reality to me and a huge fear that, you know, if I come out and say I'm in love with Claire, that they're just going to completely just ignore me, disown me, etc. One side of them have yet to speak to me, but that's fine because we never really spoke anyway. Um, but all my family that are close to me, that talk to me on a daily basis, weekly basis, have been incredible. And I couldn't ask for anything more. And yeah, I, I have no regrets. Good. Mm. As a society, acceptance is something I think we're, we're, not, we're not all lacking it, but just as a, as a whole human population, just accepting people for who they are and loving them for that should be enough. And it it actually confuses me as to why certain things can't be accepted when, especially for the most part, if you're harming people, then that's one thing. But if you're not, for me, love is love. There's nothing that makes me happier than seeing someone else happy. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that's good for everyone, then fuck it, sign me up. I'm high-fiving everyone along. I still find it. Like, I think we live in quite a sheltered little bubbled world and we're like, oh no, like, it's all fine. Like, it's, everyone's accepting everything. And then you just mentioned there how you could get stoned to death. And it's like, how is that still going on in 2021? And like, how is it accepted over here? And we're like, well, you guys are still doing that. And it's like, 
how someone not done something about that and said, guys, like, you need to stop doing that. That's, that, that's all of us though, isn't it? It falls mm. on all of our shoulders. Like the Black Lives Matter movement was a wake up call for me as someone who thinks they are, I don't know, up to date on knowing things and accepting of people and loving of human beings in general. Like that was a wake up call knowing that I still wasn't doing enough mm. to, to help the problem. Being part of the problem is first thing accepting going, I haven't done enough. So I'm happy to accept that as a human being because I want to be better for other people too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, well, that's quite much. a transformative year for yourself then. Yeah. Yeah. Genuinely like I am not the person I was a year ago. And I think- Do you like, do you like that? Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I think- Power. Because yeah, power definitely, but also the person a year ago, even though stuff that we haven't actually touched on yet, but like I'd, I'd been through a lot from my dad's death when I was younger. And I thought, you know, that had transformed me and that had made me a strong person. I was, you know, willing to talk about everything going on in my life. And then I was like, I'm actually, I'm definitely not. And that's, I was still a closed book. And now I feel like I'll sing anything from the rooftops you want about who I am and what I am. As you guys said, like, is there anything that you don't want to speak about? And I'm like, no because it's who I am and it's my authentic self. And if I can be the most authentic person and it gives, you know, strength to someone else or make someone else think, oh, do you know what? I can do that. Yeah, she's talking about it. I can do that. Like, then there's no reason to hide it. You really don't know who's listening at any one time either. Mm. And what something that might seem very insignificant to you can have an effect on someone's life. Mm -hmm. Hugely. What was, like, you went to see a therapist. Is that the first time you've seen a therapist? And what was the the tipping point that was like actually i'm gonna go see a therapist about that was in an accumulation of a lot of things or was there one moment that was like actually no it's because of this one thing so as i, say, as I just touched on there my when i was 19 first year of university my dad passed away very quick succession from diagnosis to death was six months was this cancer yeah so yeah. he died of brain cancer so it was a very quick and hard time for me because i literally he got diagnosed in the july i went away to university in the september and then he died by the February. So because I was at university, I was away from home and everything that comes with being away, I was then fearful of going back to visit him because I was like, he's gonna be worse. and I'm not gonna be able to see him and hear him. So then I tried to stop myself from going back. So there was a lot of guilt and anger and stuff wrapped up in that. And that was back in 2012. And for a very long time, I just suppressed it. I was like, I'm gonna keep running, I'm gonna keep training. And this is where for me, as much as I love training, I love fitness, I use that as my tool to just hide. I was like- Same here. Yeah, I was like, cool, I'm yeah. just gonna train 10 times a week and put a hole into myself and just drive myself into the ground and that's gonna be the answer to solve everything and it'll all be fine. And it obviously wasn't fine. And then I went through probably the start of the grieving process, maybe four or five years after he actually died. And then, Coming back to your question, lockdown just exacerbated everything again. Anniversaries felt worse. Father's Day was awful. And then his birthday was October 20th. And it was that like build up week. I just felt myself dipping and going back into kind of a depressive state. And it was just- But you didn't have the, the noise of life that you had before no. going on around you. Exactly. Yeah. And that forced me to sit with myself and sit with my thoughts and be like, you need you need to talk to someone like there's only so much of this that you can offload onto ella who i lived with or friends and like they as much as they're your friends they can't carry this you've got to really talk to someone to figure out how you can get over not get over this but get through this yeah that for me was the turning point i was like i'm not going to spend any more days spent in bed i'd literally train 
in the morning, go to bed, get up and if I could force myself to train in the afternoon and get into bed. So I was training twice a day and then sleeping because sleep was the way to just shut my brain off. So tie yourself out in the workout, sleep, go. And I think I was, I was pretty open about it. And I was like, do you know what? This is, this is how I'm coping. And then I realized I was like, this is not the right way to live. This isn't, yes, we're in lockdown. So we all kind of felt like we were just existing, but it wasn't a way to live. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to reach out. I'm going to invest. And I mean, I literally, my friend is a psychologist and she just sent me a link to a page of all these different types of therapists and you can reach out to them, contact them, and then just book a call and be like, Hey, how are you? Have a chat, see if they kind of link with you and you kind of get on and then you can then make the decision from there who you chat to. But I think, yeah, again, I wouldn't be the person I am today without having that therapist in my back pocket. Like, and even to this day, I still speak to them weekly because it's just, it's somebody there who literally is just there for you and you time. I do so much during the week where I'm here, I'm teaching, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm launching that, I'm launching this. And then it's like, okay, when am I actually going to sit down and just center and be like, right, what's going on with me? How do I actually feel? And every conversation starts with, how are you doing? So you're forced to literally look inside and be like, how am I? I think I'm okay. Oh, wait, okay, right. And then you just unravel and start to be like, actually, maybe I'm not. And that happened. And I was really worried about that. And it's just a sounding board. And I think there is a stigma there about it. I think men and women, probably more so in men, to just have a conversation and talk. And there's nothing wrong with it. Because ultimately, I'll put my hands up, I've become a better person from that, from having that person and looking in. I've heard a lot of stories about people that are seemingly well or outwardly well saying they go for therapy even though they're fine mm. because everyone has small nuances in their life that maybe aren't perfect and even just having a conversation with someone who's impartial and professional and isn't doesn't have a mobile phone next to them that they might be checking like a, a friend might because that's the society we live in right just having someone that's 100 percent there for you for that hour two hours whatever it is to listen to you and you have a conversation you and just knowing yourself is very powerful because when you are so busy you're caught up in an, an, like an abundance of other shit that stops you realizing and then you can react in negative ways that you would otherwise wouldn't if you'd have had that conversation so yeah i've never had therapy i was offered it when my mum passed away but i declined it because i liked running so much and running was my therapy which you can probably speak to but yeah i had i had those moments too where I was running just to put myself in a hole and I'd run down, there was a specific road and I would run down it and if the bus or like a lorry would pass, I'd close my eyes and think how easy it would be just to step out in front of it and the noise just cancel. But almost for me, it was, it was those moments were kind of nice. <laughs> it sounds strange because that's quite a deep thing to say, but me seeing that for what it was and knowing that it was bad was good enough and then I could speak to my friends and family but I would never say I wouldn't do therapy put it that way mm -hmm. it's just it's almost like for me it's like a, I don't know an ignorance thing or maybe I should make that step but I haven't felt super overwhelmed at any one point and felt like I couldn't cope mm -hmm. but maybe I, maybe I don't need to get to that point first before I do sign up for it so yeah hey every day's a school day yeah and I think one In thing that journey of life <laughs> <laughs> i think as well one thing that you said when when my dad did pass away when i was at university literally within the first week the university obviously were told and understood and they were like cool let's get you to see someone and i was like at that point i was just numb and like cool i'll just go and talk to someone 
I literally was the shut, like the most closed book you could possibly see. And they were like, so how do you feel? And I was like, not great. And why do you feel that way? Because my dad's dead. And like, I just wasn't receptive to it. And it, literally after one, I was like, I'm not going back. And so the back then I wasn't ready. You have to be in a mindset to be like, cool, do you know what? I'm ready to make a change. I'm ready to dig a bit deeper. And that recent to it, I was not ready. And I was like, nah, which is why it probably took me however long it's taken, eight, nine years to actually go, do you know what? Maybe it's time now. So there is no right time for anyone, definitely. Nice. So you're, having, you're living your best life now. Things are going well. We're getting out of lockdown. You've got, I know you've got a training program coming out. Do you care to speak about that, what it involves, how people can get involved? Because you are, to me, actually, a very influential figure in everything you do and the content you put out there. So do you care to dive into that? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think for me, as I say, because running is my passion and being a coach is, is what I love to do. I always want to help people. And my key message is to always empower people with my knowledge to become their optimal inner athlete. And it happens to be my initials, EKO. Wow. No, right? There's a lot of universe in you, wow. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> there is. I've got a lot of time for yeah. that. Yeah. So that, that genuinely, though, that is my motto. That's what I want to do as a coach, to be able to Can give to people, again? to empower you with my knowledge, to harness your optimal inner athlete. Wow. So like everyone has that in them. And I'm like, if anything I put out, any content, any plans, any stuff that I do, I always want to align with that. So... Yeah, the one that is recently launching this week is uh, called Run Through With Strength. And the Run Through series actually came from lockdown. Um, and I created a 10-week plan to literally run through this. That's what it was called. Run through this, run through lockdown, get to the end and feel like you've achieved something. And kind of I continued that. And this is the second version of Run Through With Strength. So it's simply strength work, not only to, you know, make you a better, stronger runner, but also make you a more injury bulletproof runner. So it's got exercises for lower legs, for ankles, plyometric work, all that kind of stuff. And it builds on the first iteration, which was eight weeks of, again, strength focus, but without the extra plyometric drills and things like that. So it's definitely a progression. And I think as runners in general, don't get me wrong, we love running out on the road, but very few runners, unless you're coming from a CrossFit background, like strength. Runners are like, oh, I'm just going to go out and run because that's going to be the best way to get stronger. Yes, to a degree, if you chuck some hills in there, sure, that's going to help with strength. But actually putting in the little work where you're doing the squats, the single leg lunges, all those sort of stuff, that's where actually you're going to build your strength. So, yeah, that is launching this week along with um, Claire and I have teamed up on it and she is going to offer the nutrition coaching alongside it as well. So as you're building that strength in the eight weeks, she's then going to be offering macros, nutrition advice to then help you optimize all that work you're doing in the gym. So it's super exciting, one that we're collaborating because we both have a passion for it. So it makes sense for us to help people as much as we can and put our brains together and and do what we can for the running community. And then there's also uh, marathon plans because thank goodness, fingers crossed, they're still happening. <laughs> Marathons are going ahead. London is London. coming. We've got Paris and Manchester literally one after mm. the other. I'm so, doing London and Paris. Awesome. Are you doing any of those? I'm doing London. Nice. So we're doing a nice little um, 16 week plan. You've kind of got that I will write for them. Um, then you've got a specific tier, which is all about getting one-to-one -one calls with me within that plan. And then the final top tier, we call it the elite tier, where you get one-to-one -one calls with me, you get nutrition planning from Claire and an individualized program. So 
all of that is launching today, yeah. um, which is super exciting because I know so many people just want to get back out on the roads and want to feel strong and want to feel like, you know, we want to achieve some races by the end of the year. So, yeah, that's been that's been going on. Yeah, having a goal as well. There's nothing like having a race coming up to mm. when you when you really like, I need a time to do or you. And then just having all that plan in front of you to do it, it's fucking exciting. So exciting. And I'm, exci- I'm, I'm doing them. I know it's not for a while, but I'm excited. Just I'm getting giddy. You just love running. <laughs> it's Run! so good. And just and having a plan. Like for me, I never had, I never used to have a plan. I used to go out and do it. Like I said, it was basically my therapy because I might have been sad or whatever. But ever since I haven't just done it for that reason, like having the the strength allocated alongside it has been massive for me. Like I never really improved. I stayed at a plethora because there's only so far you can go just by having no schedule and just going out, oh, I feel like I'll do 12K today. That sounds good. Like you progress, but you progress very slowly. But ever since I got the, like doing interval stuff and strength stuff alongside it, if you're a runner out there, you you need to do it. Those accessory things, you know, when you, your glutes hurt or your hips hurt because you're running too far. If you're doing strength stuff alongside of it, it's going to help you massively. So these plans are dope. I mean... I'm in. I actually want to do it now, but <laughs> how's your foot, Jay? Real sore. Oh. I did a run club on Wednesday and it still hurts. Right. We are the CBD podcast. Mm-hmm. So we may as well jump into that because you've been using it recently, Emma. And so is Claire actually. And the messages we've had so far have been nothing but great. And we're very appreciative to you that you've been sharing it with your audience too. But do you care to jump into what your initial thoughts were? Was it if you had any preconceptions and kind of what's happened since then? So say from a sports science background, I always love when I see like new things coming up and new research and CBD probably started coming up in the market. I'd say more in the general market, probably about a year or so ago. And kind of the the awareness was starting to get thrown out there a little bit more. It was still always quite undercurrent, but I say probably a year ago is when I proper started to see it in big places and be very aware. And it was just the intrigue that, you know, the the feedback that was coming back from a recovery perspective, um, from the elite athletes talking about their recovery, from utilizing CBD more, and then just general health and wellness. I was seeing videos about, you know, people with Parkinson's taking CBD and them changing their tremors and things like that. And I was like, okay, something is definitely, this isn't just a classic fad that sometimes people go on with. There's actually, you know, solid science behind this. And then, yeah, when it became started to become readily available, I, I had the intrigue as someone that, you know, I will be honest, from doing loads of running and everything else, I got injured quite a lot. And, you know, trying to keep that at bay was my massive thing. And then recovery was a huge part of that. If you don't do the basics, your sleep, your water and all that nutrition, everything else is irrelevant. So for me at the time, and especially I'd say in in the industry we're in, we literally go all the time, morning, noon, and night, teach in the morning, then up teach until late. And for me, I found it so hard to switch off and to really like shut my body down and get it ready for sleep. And if I didn't get that sleep, I was knackered the next day and it would just roll on throughout the week. So my first kind of foray into it was the balm that I used. I used to use it on my calves and my legs specifically after track sessions, just because my calves always suffered massively. And even though it was being rubbed into my calves, I still actually felt like I slept better. Mm. I was like, there's got to be something behind this. Some voodoo in this. Yeah, I was like, there's got to be something behind this. Yeah. So uh, then I started looking into the drops and I said, I'll be honest, I tried different ones here and there. Some of them, the taste, I was like, this is horrendous. I'm not going to use this. 
and then yeah obviously i was using your the massage rope and i was like you know what i need i need to try the actual the drops now i feel like it's it's time and i tried them one day and i've always used whoop for like two years now to help me with that recovery essay as that was going to be my focus to look at my sleep to analyze it properly what was i doing in a day that could improve that i already knew for me personally magnesium was a big one that i needed to take naturally my body doesn't have enough so i have little ticks and twitches all over the place if i don't take magnesium so i have to take that naturally anyway and then yeah coupling that then with the cbd the next day that i woke up i was ridiculously recovered and my deep sleep was so much longer than it had been for like months I was like, okay, maybe it's a fluke. Like, <laughs> genuinely, maybe it's a fluke. It's just, you know, things aligned. I ate, I ate well, I ate a bit earlier. Maybe it was that. And then it was the consistency of using it. And when I didn't use it, my sleep being horrendous. And as I said, literally to you guys that came this morning, I was like, I forgot my CBD last night. And I'm literally in, whoop, in the red. And it's, it's just now how my body's like, okay, it does work. Like, it's not just a placebo thing. It's not just, because I think there's a lot of thing around that, oh, it could just be a placebo. It could just, no, it genuinely is making a difference to my day to day. And if it means that I can one, perform better when I'm coaching, do better in my training sessions so I can get the extra gains and get out on the road, then I'm all for it. You're just getting extra opportunities to be better. Exactly. And I love that. And if you start your day off after a bad sleep, that's one step backwards already. Yeah. If I wake up and if you wake up and you're tired, knackered, in pain, generally it's it's hard to get it's hard to get going, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be the best version of yourself, not just for you, but the people that you surround yourself with. Definitely agree. And I think, like I say, Claire, mother half, she she works silly long shifts that also involve a lot of physical activity. So she teaches say five classes a day, but three of those she has to physically participate in. So her body at the end of like a week is just dunzy. So chucking that rub, we did it the other day, chuck it in the bath, amazing. Pro tip. Yeah, mm. chuck it in the bath, amazing. <laughs> and then, you know, have a couple of the nootropics that unwind with the oil, lights out, all out, only managed, she was still restless, still didn't get that much sleep, but still came in the green. So it's still like five and a half hours sleep, but still woke up green and feeling good. And it was like, like, this works, like it actually does make a difference. Yeah, I gave some to my friend the other day. He's like, nah, I don't, nah, I'm not sure about CBD. I was like, just try it. He was like, nah, I sleep fine. And he showed me his data on his, I think it was his Garmin or something like that. And he showed me his data and I was like, yeah, decent. You get like nine hours sleep, like solid. Literally the first night he messaged me and he was like, I've had like three times as much deep sleep. And he said, I feel amazing. And I was like, okay, just keep using it. Just like see how you get on. And every now and again, he messaged me and he's like, this is incredible. He was like, I was thought I was sleeping well. And he said, I didn't realize until now that I'm sleeping better, how much better my sleep could have been. So it, even if like you think you're a good sleeper and you feel like you're rested and you're recovered, I think you can always do better. Mm. And I think until you actually try something like that, you never really know how much better something could be. Yeah, totally agree. And I was someone that was like, yeah, I always get my eight hours, make sure I'm in bed at this time so I can get eight hours. And then you'd still wake up tired. I'm like, well... Obviously didn't get my eight hours, did I? So yeah, and I say the, the big thing for me is even if you have disturbed sleep, you still sleep for deeper, for longer, which is the biggest game changer. And obviously from like a scientific perspective, human growth hormones able to work better and all that sort of jazz. So like you're able to recover and replenish everything so much better. It's always good when you have that sort of mindset behind trying it, but not believing the placebo. Mm -hmm. So I like what we love seeing is when people send us our whoop data and like you said, your friend with the Garmin, because 
because there aren't that many studies on it, a lot of it is, what's it called, when it's a circumstantial evidence, when it's your own? Anecdotal. Anecdo most of it's anecdotal, but when there's enough anecdotal and you can see it on your on your whoop or your trackable, then it's really when it starts opening your eyes and going, okay, actually, this product here is working, it is making my life a bit better. And it looks expensive for what it is, sure, because it's a 30 milliliter bottle for the most part, but it lasts you a long time and it definitely costs less a day than that oat flat white you get. Mm -hmm. So it looks expensive, but when you actually divvy it up and look at it properly, what are you putting first? Do you want that quick fix from that Friday beer? to help you chill out because you've had a stressful week or you've earned it? Or do you want to have CBD every day? Beer or CBD or coffee or CBD, or you can have all three because you can quite easily manage your life to be able to have that little extra. And I'm not saying that across the board for everyone because that would be ignorant of me to say that everyone can afford it. But if you can and you can work it into your life, I think it's hugely valuable to improve every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. Plugging over. And if you listen to the end of this podcast, there is a discount code. So. Wow. <laughs> Bloop. Yeah, nah. I don't think anyone's ever used that. Nah, it doesn't matter, does it? No. We don't mind. So, Emma, where do you see yourself? I'm interested in this in sort of three to five years. What is your, do you have a goal in life in sort of your, your young adult, adult life that you're trying to get to? Or is it just like a place of being? So just being happy. What is your, what is your goal? I mean, for me, say as woo as it sounds happiness is the key thing i think because i say i'm not not saying i've had a bad life in any way shape or form but having like the losses that i've had and and going through some of the struggles that i've had where i've been super super low knowing how that feels i never want to go back there again so i want to make sure that you know no matter what i'm doing year on year whether my business is thriving or i say my relationship is thriving i always want to make sure that happiness is that key focus because if you're happy everything else is fine you can literally you can literally brush off anything if you're happy you're like yeah. oh yeah oh cool that's just broke it's gonna cost me a grand okay yeah. oh well anyway like just having that so for me that's a massive one from a business perspective i mean just just keep doing what I love, being able to keep doing what I love day to day. And if I fall out of love with it, firstly, I won't. But if I do, knowing that that's okay and that there will be another path that will open and that I'll find a way somewhere else. But yeah, for me, the goal was always to make my passion my job. And the fact that I get to do that on a daily basis and be supported by amazing brands and hopefully be able to keep working with people like Under Armour and everything else and guys like you and just people that are authentic to themselves, I think is is where I wanna go. I never wanna go down a route where I'm not true to who I am because as I've kind of said, I, I'm all about authenticity. And if I have to do something that isn't who I am, just because it gets me X or gets me Y, I'm not gonna do it. So for me, that kind of four year plan is just trying to stay true to who I am and being authentic with a little bit of fun sprinkled in there, maybe, yeah. maybe a holiday if Whoa. we can get there, <laughs> maybe, oh. you know. Like I've been on one like two years. It's getting emotional. Um, maybe a whole day in there. Um, but yeah, definitely just just keep doing what I love, really. I'll take that. Mm. I'd I'd take the same actually. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm, I'm very happy with that. that. Yeah. Slicing. All in agreements. Yep. Say aye. Aye. Here, here. Well, naturally, I think that's a, a really nice end to this what's been a for me personally an amazing podcast to be a part of and listening back's gonna be great. Just thank you for your honesty and opening yourself up because as we kind of touched on, you never know who's going to hear something or see something you've done and 
that changed their life. So mm. powerful stuff. Thanks from us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Yo, thank you, Pure Sport fan, for tuning in. As a valued listener, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount code site-wide on puresportcbd.com. Use the code PROJECT20 to level up your life. If you like this podcast, like, subscribe and share with your friends. And remember, no stress, stay blessed and we'll catch you next time.